I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to be talking about what's going on across the country in courtrooms dealing with race. We're also going to be talking about what took place in San Antonio, Texas over the weekend with former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn calling for one religion. And then we're also going to be talking about a little bit about the infrastructure bill. And Autumn and I are going to talk about where I'm going to be this weekend in Louisville, Kentucky at the Festival of Faiths. And then later on in the podcast, Autumn and I sat down with Cy Hookstra and Jonathan Walton as they have started their very own press called Keeping the Faith Press. And it is a delightful conversation. They're also the co-hosts of Shake the Dust podcast that you'll want to tune into as well. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good show. Hey, Autumn, guess what time of year it is? Halloween. No. Thanksgiving? No. It's too early for Christmas. People keep telling me. It is a little too early for Christmas. No, it's the time of year when nonprofits ask for money. You know, Mitch, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, it is an exciting time of year because even here at Good Faith Media, we need to, from time to time, ask our listeners and readers to help support this great effort of keeping this message alive. Yeah, the voices of inclusive people of faith are tragically underrepresented, leaving many feeling alone. And then we layered in this global pandemic, which pushed all of us further into isolation. But... Good Faith Media provides a space for our voices to unite and impact the world for good. And our daily news and opinion pieces provide thoughtful reflection from spiritual and thoughtful leaders around the world. Our Nurturing Faith Journal is a print magazine that circulates six times a year to churches and households nationwide, delivering thoughtful analysis, inspiring features, and Jesus focused Bible study curriculum. And if you like this podcast, Good Faith Weekly, make certain to subscribe to more exciting and challenging podcasts brought to you by the Good Faith Media Podcast Network. Gather around your device as GFM continues advocating for inclusion for all, justice for all, and freedom for all. You can find more information about this at goodfaithmedia.org forward slash donate. Autumn, what's going on in your world these days? Well, Mitch, uh, we found out that to celebrate Thanksgiving holiday next week, our kids are all four out of school for five whole days. Oh, glorious. I mean, it's going to be kind of like, it's going to be like the old nostalgia days during the pandemic where everybody was together at once. Yes. In fact, there's going to be lots of child noise on our meetings next week. I'm just telling you in advance right now. There's going to be some squawking. You know, there's been some mooning on behalf of I was going to say, as long as everybody keeps their pants on in your house. (laughs) I make no promises about that. We have a little bit of kid noise this week, sort of in preparation for that, too, in our interview later. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Autumn and I get to sit down with uh, Cy Hookstra and Jonathan uh, Walton later on, and Jonathan's little daughter interrupts our interview, and she is just adorable. So you'll hear her precious. in the background, just very precious. So, you know, that's. Well, she was scheduled to be napping, but, you know, kids never really do what they're scheduled to do. <laughs> yeah, no. She got off the schedule. She got off the schedule. <laughs> so she's, <laughs> she's fine. Oh, well, lots going on in our country these days, Autumn. Let's start with. Uh, uh, some of the court cases that we are that are underway, one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the other one down in Georgia. Uh, first, the Rittenhauer case. Uh, Kyle Rittenhauer was accused and tried for the murdering of two 
individuals during a protest in Kenosha in 2020, injuring another via gunfire. Um, and so now it's gone to the trial. Uh, we're recording this uh, podcast on Wednesday. We do not know if there's a verdict as of yet, but uh, lots of transpired, lots of things have transpired during the trial. Certainly seems as though, to me at least, that um, things are looking good for Kyle and not really looking good for justice because it seems as though he may get off on this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think based on the privilege of his skin color, he's even at a trial. I think we discussed that a little bit last week. You know, if if a, a black youth had gone into a crowd with an automatic rifle, they would not have lived to tell the tale um, or to plead any kind of a case. And so I, I'm just going to continue to pray for justice in that case. And I'm also not hopeful. Right. And the the whole defense about he felt like his life was threatened. And I'm I'm quite well, certain he should have just stayed home. Well, and that's that to me that's that's an important fact because it's not like he was in his home and someone broke into his home and he felt like his life was threatened, or if he found himself out in a normal circumstance, you know, to dinner and somebody tried to rob him. But he put himself in this circumstance, he brought a weapon to this circumstance and was the aggressor. I mean, he was the aggressor in this particular scenario. And so what happens when an individual puts themselves in a position where they feel like their life is threatened? That, and I'm also getting a little tired of just, that's the go-to now. All you have to say is, well, I felt like my wife or my life was threatened. And you, if you're white in this country, you get a free pass. But if you're a black person, your life can feel threatened literally anywhere, even in your home asleep. So where's the narrative there? Who's telling that story? Exactly. Exactly. We are. That's who. That's exactly our. We are calling attention to all of these injustices across our country. And, you know, our colleague, Reverend Starlet Thomas, has been doing it for over a decade now with her Raceless Gospel Initiative and does a great job breaking down race as a human construct. But... Also seeing the nuances of racism and systemic racism within this country that have forever been here and continue uh, their presence in society. So uh, if you really want to know what's going on with racism, both overt and systemic racism, go on over to the Raceless Gospel podcast. Uh, She just does a great job uh, outlining it Mm -hmm. and preaching. I mean, she preaches. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a great, great listen. Well, also going on in Georgia, it seems as though uh, there's another case. Uh, Ahmaud Aubrey was killed on a run by three white men. Those three white men are now on trial down there. And something interesting happened during the case as Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson showed up to the class, uh, the uh, showed up to the courtroom to set with Ahmad's family. One of the defense attorneys said this on record in open court that he did not want any more black pastors in the courtroom. How, how much more overt can you get than that? Well, for everyone saying it out loud, there are, you know, a hundred more who are thinking it inside. So I, it's just preposterous that you would say something like that, that you would think something like that. And you know what? I'm sort of in the camp of, I would like as many black pastors as I could possibly fit in a courtroom 
or whatever room I'm in. Yeah, hundred percent. Maybe even on the jury every now and again. That'd be nice. I. It would be nice, right? Yeah. No, it's it, it's just preposterous. Well, we don't know the outcome of either one of those cases right now, but I do say this in all sincerity. We do pray for each one of those circumstances. We know that there's a lot of emotion uh, when the verdict is rendered, uh, whether guilty or innocent in either one of those cases, there's going to be a response. And so our prayer is that whatever the verdict might be, that we can, as a society, continue to see where we fell, especially where we fell the least of these and the marginalized and oppressed, and that we can change this system in ways that justice can rain down because right now our system is broken. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, not only is our system broken, but there are people who are at this current time overtly working to break it even further. And we saw one of those instances down in San Antonio, Texas over the weekend at Cornerstone church and, uh, at John Hagee's church. John Hagee is a noted right-wing fundamentalist preacher uh, in Texas. Uh, he's also a Christian nationalist, Christian Zionist. Uh, he had, he invited the former national secretary advisor in the Trump administration, Michael Flynn, to his church, as Michael Flynn is now on tour, it seems, though, after committing crimes and being pardoned by the former president. Now he gets to go make a living espousing all this BS that he believes in. One of those. I was going to say, <laughs> what are you going to call it, Mitch? I, I pause my, there. The radio edit button. <laughs> uh, one of the things he said is that if he believes in one nation, or that he believes in one nation under God, and the only way to achieve that one nation under God is to have one religion. So, as you can imagine, it's going to be his religion, his interpretation of what that religion might be, and that all other interpretations, all other practices, all other religions need to be thrown out the wayside and follow his religion. Craziness. I mean, for anybody who doubts Christian nationalism exists in this country, that's it. And I'm tired of people saying, well, that's just rhetoric. Well, guess what? Rhetoric turns into action. We saw that on January 6th. This kind of rhetoric, this kind of theology, this kind of politicking is dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. And it's pervasive. Very pervasive. Yeah, and we have to continue to shine a light on it and to speak out against it because it's not okay. And, And here's the thing. Even if, you know, the Flynn Hagee co-opted religion of whatever it is came together and then suddenly everyone had to be that, even if it sounds cushiony and wonderful to you now because you think that's my power, that, you know, that would be good for me, how long until it turns into something that isn't good for you? We have to have balance. We have to have multiple voices. We have to have freedom of and from religion in our country. Absolutely. Over at uh, our good friends, Baptist News Global this week, the executive director for the Baptist Joint Committee uh, wrote an op-ed over at their site, and it's fabulous, addressing this one religion mentality that uh, Flynn is propagating. And so we encourage you to go over to their site to read Amanda's article. It's just very well done. 
Mm-hmm. But this has got to stop. I'm, I'm just tired of it. I know it's not going to stop. It's going to ramp up as we enter the midterm elections. Uh, the genie is out of the bottle. And so we need to continue to vocalize opposition to this, to demonstrate that diversity and dialogue are the only true way forward. And we need to celebrate that. And in the famous words of uh, the paradox, uh, the only thing that we need to be intolerant about is intolerance. And so we need to continue along that mantra. Well, one last thing before we get to our interview, Autumn. Um, Washington did something kind of cool this week. They actually passed a bipartisan bill. They did. Yes. It, you know, I wasn't around during the New Deal, Mitch, were you? I, don't I was just a lee, um, uh, just a weed. <laughs> but that's what it sort of feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously they had opposition both on the left, on the right, I might say. But for once, you know, lawmakers came together. They saw that this was desperately needed. I mean, it's infrastructure. I mean, it's it should not be that controversial because all you have to do is go on I-35 here in Oklahoma and look at a bridge. And uh-huh. I mean, literally here in Norman, there was a time over I-35 where you drove over a bridge. There was a hole in it. You could see the highway on the bridge that you were on. And I, yes, mean, we- I had a chip from an overpass, like a rock fall from an overpass and chip my windshield. Yeah. I mean, our infrastructure is falling apart. And you look at the rest of the world um, that has invested in infrastructure and transportation. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that we don't have high speed rail in America. Mm -hmm. I mean, just absolutely crazy, you know? And so there are things that we can do and invest as a country that's going to push us forward. And I think Republicans and Democrats both see that. So it was, it was refreshing to see, uh, the president sign the infrastructure bill with bipartisan support. Um, I really appreciated it. It gives me hope. Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, one thing that we're doing that's actually looking out for one another. Doesn't that feel good? It does. Absolutely. Because we we all drive on these roads, uh, you know. We do. We all rely on this transportation, both for, you know, the movement of goods and people. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's just good form. Absolutely. Well, speaking of good form, you and I got to sit down with Cy Hookstra and Jonathan Walton this week and their new venture, uh, Keeping the Faith Press and Shake the Dust podcast. They were absolutely delightful. I mean, we just really enjoyed our time with them, and I hope that you enjoy this interview as well. Um, like I said before, um, we recorded this a little early because I'm going to be on the road at the Festival of Faiths this week, Autumn. You better save me a corn dog and turkey leg. It's not that kind of festival. <laughs> wow. uh, what are you gonna do? There's oh. there's not a Ferris wheel. <laughs> there's not. Oh well. my gosh, a Ferris wheel of faith, Mitch. Oh. TMTM. TM. <laughs> I'm taking that one right now. <laughs> you got it. You got it. No, our colleague uh, that we mentioned a moment ago, Reverend Starlet Thomas, and I are going to Louisville uh, to attend the Festival of Faiths because they're going to be talking about race uh, during this festival. They've invited scholars from all over Kentucky uh, to come and and talk about the issue of race and its human construct, or talked about race as a human construct and and how we can deconstruct that and, and really pursue a better way forward. 
So we're really excited about it. Uh, we want to encourage you to look at some of our interviews at goodfaithmedia.org. Uh, Starlet and I are going to sit down with some of the speakers and presenters there, interviewing them one-on-one. Uh, so uh, stay tuned. We're, we're really excited about what comes from that. Uh, we think it's going to be a, a good time, and we're going to learn a lot uh, sitting down and talking with uh, those pastors and scholars. Well, stay tuned for this interview. Uh, I want to remind you after the interview that Autumn and I are going to be gone next week. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week, so we're going to take the week off, but we'll be coming back the week after Thanksgiving. And i uh, got some really exciting stuff. may have some interview or two from Starlet at the um, Festival of Faith uh, in Louisville. But uh, if we don't uh, talk to you between now and then, we'll talk to you after Thanksgiving. And so we hope that each and every one of you have a very happy Thanksgiving and enjoy your family. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, Director of the Raceless Gospel Initiative at Good Faith Media and host of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. The Advent season is coming, and we're delivering a podcast. Jesus is coming. It's an Advent podcast series from us at Good Faith Media. We'll drop four episodes, one for each Sunday of Advent. A season of preparation for a kingdom that is coming. Back up! Give everyone some space. There is plenty good room. Come one, come all, to Jesus. Jesus is Coming, an Advent podcast series by me, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got some very special guests with us. A return guest, Cy Hoekstra, is the public defender in the child welfare system in New York City. He previously was a staff attorney at the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. He graduated cum laude from New York University School of Law in 2014. Cy spent a year organizing college students for political advocacy in Washington, D.C. with International Justice Mission. Jonathan Walton is a newcomer to the pod. He is a senior resource specialist with InterVarsity. University's multi-ethnic initiatives department. He leads InterVarsity's experiential discipleship team, which exists to develop and commission leaders with the character and capacity to partner with God to change the world. Experiential discipleship and spiritual formation are key components to making sure that that happens. He lives in Queens with his wife, two daughters, and a dog. Sign Jonathan recently started a new online venture called Keeping the Faith Press, aimed at creating a space for Christians of all stripes to center and elevate marginalized voices in order to firmly plant ourselves in God's kingdom and leave a colonized Western Christianity. They're also the co-host of a new podcast called Shake the Dust. Cy, Jonathan, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. And I hope that siren in the background. (laughs) I just hope they're not coming for you, Cy. If not, this podcast is about getting real interesting. (laughs) Suddenly it's a true crime podcast and I have been training my whole life for this. Immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you two feel compelled to launch uh, Keeping the Faith Press? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so what actually got us started was the person who was on your podcast last time with me, which was Susie LaHood, uh, got in contact with us uh, about the anthology that we published last year uh, before the election that kind of consisted of uh, a lot of Christians from many different walks of life writing about why they were not voting for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her compulsion was out of uh, just kind of a dedication that someone needed to sort of put 
put the record straight that what so much of what was going on in especially white evangelicalism, but a lot of white Christianity in the United States was wrong. It was just not where the church should be going. And uh, I think that's a lot of the compulsion of what happened after we published that book and thought, oh, well, we have this little LLC we created. What else can we, what else can we do with it? How can we build off this momentum and, um, you know, shake the dust, obviously that mm. kind of biblical imagery mm. of, of leaving behind people who will not listen um, to the word of God, I think is, is uh, kind of how we, we got started. And, um, you know, the, the, a lot of it for me is trying to live with more integrity right? With trying to live with more, uh, adhering closer to the things that I know in, in my heart and that we know in our hearts are not, are, are the things that Jesus wants us to be following as opposed to the things that America and all these other idols that we integrate so seamlessly into our faith sometimes want us to be following. Um, but I'm sure that one of the good things about our, our podcast and our stuff in general is that we come from very different perspectives. So I'm sure Jonathan has a, a little bit of a twist on that. So what I hear before Jonathan speaks, what I hear Sai saying is that uh, the non-reelection of President Trump was directly associated with keeping the faith book. Is that right, Sai? I mean, you had a direct. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it was all because of that book that uh, Trump wasn't yeah. reelected. <laughs> could you could you guys get on the pandemic next? <laughs> <laughs> Christian objections to the existence of the pandemic. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that'd be great. So, so Jonathan, I mean, we're here to, to talk about this this refocusing of the church and the mm. how the political, you know, this this hyper partisanship, this uh, toxic uh, political venture that the church is engaged in. Um, how mm. we combat that and and invite people back to following Jesus, following the Word of God. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've come a long way, uh, and I think sometimes we've turned a corner, but then instances like this past week in San Antonio, Texas, where uh, former De Deputy uh, Security Advisor Michael Flynn uh, was at John Hagee's church and basically called for one religion, and the crowd burst into an inflammatory uh, remark against President Biden. You know, sometimes I feel like we have turned a corner. Sometimes I feel like we haven't. So what do you think? How, how, how can keeping the faith help us, pull us out of, of this predicament we're in? You know, also, I mean, that church better be paying taxes, taxes next week, right? I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. Exactly. It would, it would be great if, if <laughs> that stream of quote unquote Christian ministry paid taxes because they rake in a significant amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, they do. <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I think that it'd be exceptionally helpful um, downstream of like enlightenment thought to lift how we think about brokenness in the world from getting better or getting worse to just being the state of things. And there's moving, um, like instead of moving from like left to right or A to B, there's just an orientation around Jesus and people who are not oriented around Jesus. And there are points in life and tension where we're closer to that, but not closer to, to how things should be, but closer to God. And then there are places when, when they're not. And I think it's impossible for um, a group of people downstream of institutions and individuals that worship race, class, and gender-based hierarchy to do something other than 
have Michael Flynn show up and say, let's go, Brandon, and say, F Joe Biden. Like, there isn't a point where they are progressing, right? Mm-hmm. I got an email from a, a ministry partner, and he said, you know, I'm just, I'm so excited about the things that are happening and with progressive Christianity. And it seems like there are going to be people that are just a, so much more receptive to the message you guys are bringing. And I think that the, the myth of progressivism, like there, that things are getting better, is really, really unhelpful for actually dealing with the realities of the world. Hmm. Like the fall happened. Jesus is risen. He is coming back. We are waiting and active. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And that I think it actually liberates us from the desire for think, from, from being beholden emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff. I, I like this a constant evaluation um, from assessing that. We don't have to assess that. I, I mean, and to, to hearken back, the reason yeah, yeah. that I wanted to be a part of KTF is because it, to me, it's an extension of what I was doing with 12 lies that hold America captive and the truth that sets us free. And that sure. book, um, in that book, I just explained um, <laughs> in great detail how the actual faith of John Hagee and these people is white American folk religion, yeah. not Christianity. Sure. Um, and I think also if we were able to wrap our minds around it, this is a completely different faith. Right. And again, we would be able to to step away from thinking, oh, like far, like closer or further away or A to B or better. It's just, that is just not following Jesus. Sure. And, not. and I love that language, Jonathan, that you're using, because one of our colleagues here at Good Faith Media, uh, Johnny Pierce, has been talking about what he calls the Jesus Worldview Initiative. And it was a response to the rhetoric that we heard for several decades, uh, especially from conservative Christianity, right-wing fundamentalism, of trying to follow a biblical worldview. Well, what happened in that conversation was that somehow Jesus got pushed out out of the worldview, and a worldview was created that was based upon the Bible, but as I've always said, you can take the Bible and prove about anything or argue about anything you want. Uh, And when Jesus was left out of that, um, it became more of a political, a socio-political movement that was striving for power and wealth in this country at the subjugation of other people. And so what Johnny's trying to do is to not only reintroduce Jesus into the conversation, but make Jesus the focal point of uh, who we are as, as a people of faith. So, Sai, what, what do you think? I mean, uh, do you think as people of faith that, we, that that message has potential, that somehow there is a huge difference between a biblical worldview and a Jesus worldview? That is an interesting thought because I, I think where I start with that is I, I, I grew up definitely within the uh, purview of the worldview ministries of kind of the 90s and 2000s. And um, I think your, your colleague is right that there is a degree to which, while obviously trying to figure out what your, how you view the world through the lens of the things that Jesus said and what the Bible says is a good exercise, what it often did functionally was to exclude anybody who didn't, you know, agree with it. It was trying to define the purview of what is real, true and good Christianity within a a political framework. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think, um, so it functions to exclude 
people and it functioned to exclude a lot of people that it really did not need to exclude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just so tied to a certain political view, to a certain economic outlook, um, a geopolitical view that I, I just, I think it, it was troubling in, in that way. And I agree, you lose Jesus and all that. And one of the ways that you lose Jesus and all that uh, in particular is by failing to, as we say at, at KTF, uh, center and elevate marginalized voices, right? So that is not what biblical yeah. worldview people are trying to do ever, right? Right. <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. it's the the phrase biblical worldview in and of itself wouldn't tell you that, but that is that was not what was happening with those ministries, right? And and it was it was all about the philosophy and theology of Europeans and Americans, and um, so it was just an unnecessary exclude. There's a lot of suspicion in that movement toward, um especially toward the black church, but, you know, toward any kind of theology that talked about justice toward any kind of theology that was perceived as being um, biased. That was, you know, because it was too like emotionally invested in something or other, right? Like this is a response that we get a lot of times to Jonathan. And I were just talking about this yesterday, uh, a response that you get a lot of times to, you know, black lives matter, people who want police reform or anything. It's like you, you're, you, Black people who are advocating for this are too emotionally uh, tied to this issue. You're just you're not thinking about it objectively, quote mm -hmm. unquote. I just did right. air quotes. Um, and that's, um, you know, kind of seeing like the, the whiteness, conservatism, like European centric uh, thought sure. as a, an objective default and everything mm -hmm. else as an emotional response is something else. Uh -huh. And I think. Um, the way that the way that bringing in Jesus and a Jesus central centered worldview uh, solves for that problem is that Jesus never did that. You're never going to find Jesus saying to a poor person, oh, you don't understand economic oppression properly because you are you're too emotional. You know what I mean? He, he didn't say to Jewish people, oh, you don't get the, the Roman imperial system because you're a victim of it. Right. You know, and he, what he said all the time, though was he used people's positions of power and privilege and said, that is actually going to lead you mm. into some sort of misunderstanding, yeah. right? Into some sort of incorrect evaluation of your own power. It's going to lead you to arrogance. It's going to lead you to pride. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, I'm not sure that was the direction you expected. No, 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 that's exactly, that's, that's exactly. That's yeah. That and Jonathan <laughs> mentioned a moment ago, uh, this, this idolatry that the church, that, the church possesses. So, Jonathan, what what do you mean by idolatry, and what idols do you think that the church is worshiping, other than the God that they're there to worship? Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> how long do we have? Okay, <laughs> so um, I think you know, Doctor Reverend Doctor Soon Chung Ra and Mark Charles, um, their work on the doctrine of discovery. Like, I think there's a there's that blows that up a little bit more for people who need to go read more books. Um, Richard Twist, Re Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys, I think is another great, great book um, or person to know and follow. Um, but if, if I was to, to pick a point um, biblically and say, what's the idol? I would go to Revelation 18. And Revelation 18 is when that idol is destroyed. And so there's a group of people who I think we embody um, and we have a choice. So in Revelation 18, Babylon is destroyed. The great, you know, the beast or whatever is, is dying. And what happens is there's a group of people weeping over Babylon. And what it says is that the, the merchants, the people who once profited off of her 
um, ships and captives and all these different things are, 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 are devastated that Babylon is being destroyed. And I don't want to be a part of that group of people. Because in Revelation 19, it says, all praise, honor, and glory be to God, right? And I think what we're actually worshiping is the thing that, what's, what's the man, James Cameron, the Left Behind series, all the rage about. We're actually worshiping that right now. Mm. And like Martin Luther King would say, racism, militarism, and materialism. Mm. I would say race, class, gender. Um, and, but the reality is there's a worship of power and accumulation mm-hmm. that we embrace sanctify and then indoctrinate people into and so i think if we were again to grab another biblical passage it would be daniel right daniel is trafficked as a child into babylon his name is changed he's given a different faith and he's told how he's going to live and essentially that is what happened to my people i'm black if y'all Black listeners know I'm black, by the way, I'm talking. Other people, <laughs> they are like, I'm a black American. And so the reality is like, there's something that happens when you invited people to change their names, to get involved in a system that determines morality, destiny, beauty, love, and justice. Mm. And God ordains those things. And if you're going to define those things, you can't have God in the picture because you become God. Sure. Mm-hmm. And what, and that gets back to what you were saying before about the objective worldview, like the creation of this quote unquote biblical worldview in alignment with European expansion and imperialism. Like you have to create that so you can subjugate everything else. Otherwise, if you invite a different set of objective questions and morals, and you can be challenged. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that white supremacy is supremacy. You can't challenge it because it's supreme. And so um, I think at the end of the day, if we were to expand this beyond the scope of European imperialism, it would be the worship of power and accumulation yep. as, as our source of value and um, significance and meaning. Uh, and under, under the guise of bless me indeed. Yes, exactly. And prosperity gospel, which I love when you were first talking earlier that the goal isn't easy cushiony you know everyone's wonderful like that's not mm-hmm. the goal that's not attainable god is in those hard places and we right. have to be too right there it's impossible to leave college i mean me and side both went to columbia university they are not saying take up your cross deny yourself and follow me that is not <laughs> what i got at the in the line for jp morgan chase consulting summer jobs <laughs> it, I, lasted, I lasted a very short amount of time there but but that is just not it's just not it. <laughs> and so sure. it's, it's a fundamentally different way of life, which is, again, why I say worship, I think another word for worship is orientation, mm-hmm. orienting our lives, our passions, our patterns around. And you've just so, written a book about so yeah, this, I right? I did. Yes. Oh, so yeah. go ahead and plug the <laughs> book, Jonathan. That's why you're here. <laughs> yes. so, so I think 12 Lies is about, you know, that orientation. But then But I think our anthology expands upon that because I think what we, unfortunately, what we do with Christianity is we create Christian monoliths, Mm -hmm. right? So one person said this, when in our anthology, you have 37 like activists, pastors, leaders, um, folks from all across the church who represent every ethnic background. The great cloud of witnesses, if you will, not to get all Hebrews on you. you I'll I'll go there, right? You know, (laughs) speaking like faith is a subject of things, hope for evidence of things not seen, trying to imagine something different. And so I I would say that that book has, you know, folks that you can grab onto today Mm -hmm. uh, that are are pretty great. So 
Lord Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I only, that only took like two or three months. No, it did. Absolutely. We'll have, yeah. we'll have links to the book in our show notes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. but I will just tell you guys that not only does like our culture and our society not know what to do with this, but um, we've been working with some nonprofits and some like search engine optimization, social media optimization folks. The algorithms of social media doesn't know what to do with Christians who don't think within that monolith. They don't know what to do with us. Because mm-hmm. we don't fit yeah. into any of the code. You can't write code for it. It's messy. It's messier yeah. than a Facebook algorithm. It's messier than a tract that you throw in somebody's face when they're struggling. Right. right? right. And which it's hard. Why, mm-hmm, which is why I get ads for Let's Go Brandon in my Instagram mm-hmm. Facebook feed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's fun crazy. times on social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, part of part of your objective with uh, KTF and Shake the Dust is to build a genuine intersectional community. So, Sai, how are you and Jonathan achieving this? I mean, I think the first thing that we're trying to do right now is model it on the show. So it's it's Jonathan and I and and Susie LaHood, who was the guest last time I was mm-hmm. here, are the, are the co-hosts. And uh, one thing that Jonathan is particularly good at, because he's been doing it for a very long time, is uh, engaging across kind of lines of difference mm-hmm. in an emotionally healthy way. Like Jonathan has put years into thinking about this and to doing like his own personal therapy around this, all kinds of things. So the three of us, you know, I'm, I'm, a blind white man, Susie's a white woman, Jonathan's a black man. We're all in interracial marriages. We've all spent a very long time in other cultures, talking across lines of race, like in multi-ethnic communities. Um, just by coincidence, the three of us ended up in places where we've been doing this for, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so. And so we um, are just trying to be vulnerable and honest and humble while talking to each other, which means J- Jonathan went to, this is actually Jonathan's brother, who's a pastor in Virginia, um, came, it basically talks about vulnerability in terms of transparency plus risk. So mm-hmm. being transparent in a, in a way that is, is sort of trying to not, not necessarily cost you something enormous, but is risky, right? It's not necessarily comfortable doing it in an emotionally healthy way. And, um, being willing to demonstrate grace and peace to each other when we are, we you know, like when we screw up, which is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we do it like kind of regularly. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I try to model that for people like on a show. And then we bring that, you know, we bring in guests and try and do the same thing mm-hmm. with them and people who are experts in various ways that we want to um, teach people to do that. And then we also kind of focus on uh, basically it's the, the, two things that we divide what we're doing into are like discipleship and political education. Mm -hmm. So I think we've sort of been covering the discipleship and then we're also like, we have a weekly newsletter and we try and, you know, bring people um, kind of curated like articles, videos, documentaries, whatever that we think are interesting for people to get to just understand the world around them Mm -hmm. uh, better because a lot of that knowledge, just, just knowledge of what's happening around you, stuff that's unfamiliar to you um, is going to, help in creating that sort of intersectional community sure. because uh, you, you just can't love what you don't know. So Jonathan, mm-hmm. when I come to an intersection, um, two things happen. One, I arrive the same time as another driver and 
we get frustrated with one another because we start in one wants to go, the other wants to go, and then we end up honking at one another. Or something else happens. We're all polite and, well, you go. No, well, you go. Do you go? And, and then nothing happens. So in this idea of intersectional, intersectional community, there has to be a model for us to be productive, to have conversations and to move forward as a community. What are some suggestions that you have when people find themselves at an intersection with someone who's different than them? But there's a commonality, whether that is experience or uh, uh, or just individualism. Or you're related and Thanksgiving is next week. <laughs> <laughs> or that. <laughs> what are some suggestions of being productive at these moments that we find ourselves in intersection? Yeah. Um, <laughs> driving to a stop, four-way stop sign in New York City is a perfect analogy. Um, and so I think there's three things that are happening for us that are abstract, and then I'll give like three practical things, okay? The, I think we have to resist pride, we have to resist narcissism, and we have to resist hurry. Mm. And so if we're prideful and we think we're right all the time, we'll be self-referencing. So everything's about us, orients around us, including the entire world, like folks at the intersection. And then we just do it quickly. Because there's no reason to slow down because we haven't considered anybody else around us. And it's impossible to love your neighbor if you won't even consider them. Mm. Yet their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, the things that are going on around them. So that's the, that's the first thing. Like, I think we need to identify the places where we are prideful and resistant to learning. Like resistant to criticism. And like scripture literally calls people who don't want to receive feedback fools, right? Like you're a fool. You don't try to actually like receive these things. Wise is the person who receives good instruction. And so they, that's the first thing. The second thing about like narcissism is like, again, like if we are oriented around ourselves, we cannot be oriented around the way and life of Jesus. Like Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is how we test and prove what God's perfect good and will, good and perfect will is, right? And so it's impossible to be oriented towards loving other people as long as we're oriented towards loving our false selves. And that's like a whole nother thing, right? Mm -hmm. But, but if, it, if our self is informed by pride and being over other people, then we're not actually loving ourselves. We're loving the projection of ourselves that we want other people to see, right? right. And so if we resist the pride, the narcissism, and the hurry, then we can slow down and do three practical things. And the that. practical thing definitely has to do with Thanksgiving, which I'll be on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the things I'm about next week is like, when you interact with someone, again, my brother, pastor of East End Fellowship in Richmond, Virginia, it is impossible not to interact, to interact with someone and not interact with their family mm -hmm. for three generations. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, <laughs> this is assume right. you're interacting with addiction, with yep. estrangement, with sure. brokenness, with trauma. Like, let's just assume that, which should invite you to be gracious, yeah. right? And so, so this is that the first thing is go off that assumption. The second thing is to ask open-ended questions not yes and no questions and questions you genuinely want the answer to. Because some of us ask questions that we don't care about what the person is going to say back to us, which is incredibly rude and dismissive and unbiblical. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, so I would say, consider the person's family and background as you're interacting with them, because you can't get away from that. And to listen reflectively after asking um, questions, you actually open-ended questions you actually want the answer to. And the last thing that I would say um, is what will be exceptionally helpful is to, um, to share yourself. Um, and most of us, I think are not willing 
to share of ourselves. So when someone says, how are you? Be honest and say, you know what? Life's really shitty right now because I think Ahmaud Arbery, the people who killed him are going to walk free, even though everybody after them won't walk free because they changed the law. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, you know, it's going to suck in Kenosha because when Rittenhouse gets off and leaves, there's going to be rioting and then people are going to come with guns. And then we're going to have 15 trials of 15 Rittenhouses who shot other people because Rittenhouse got off. Yeah. Like, that's actually what I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, and now, granted, the person might might look at you with their eyes wide open after right. that, but at least you were honest mm-hmm. and <laughs> not, you know, um, you didn't lie to them. Yeah. And I yeah. do think people are, are looking for honesty. On me. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent, Jonathan. I mean, just Everest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everest does agree with that as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, we, we have uh, we have danced around these issues. This is why we're still in this predicament. We haven't been honest with ourselves. We haven't been honest with others. And we just need to be honest and have genuine, authentic conversations uh, so that you know, we can not only have these conversations, but listen to other people as well as hopefully they will listen to us. Well, Cy Hoekstra, Jonathan Walton, you have been an absolute delight today for us at Good Faith Weekly, uh, co-founders of Keeping the Faith Press, as well as co-hosts of Shake the Dust podcast. Uh, for our audience, uh, go ahead and uh, go on over to Shake the Dust and hit subscribe right now because it's a great podcast. They do a great job talking about these things and creating this uh, intersectional community. But guys, before we go, We've got one last question that we want to ask both of you. Autumn asked every guest this question, so I'm going to let her take it away. Yes, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So, uh, Sai, why don't you go first, and then Jonathan, let us know your more to tell. Sure. So, I'll, I mean, we have uh, a lot more to tell. <laughs> we So, I'll, I'll, I'll do the practical stuff, maybe, and, and I'm sure Jonathan will say something extremely powerful and drop the mic and we'll all be done. Um, <laughs> We, we are at ktfpress.com and we put out a weekly newsletter. We write articles, we put out this podcast and uh, we, we just so badly want people to, to come join us in what we're doing because we, we think it is crucial work. It's not, you know, I, I, I know we joked about the book and the election before we don't, we don't think we're saving the country or anything. We just think that we have found so much like, beauty and camaraderie and um, goodness, just like God's goodness and what in, in this kind of work that we're doing. And um, we would love to see people over there, ktfpress.com. We're also all the social media at KTF Press. And um, yeah, we, we would just love to see you there. And side so don't sell yourself short. I mean, my goodness, uh, the book was fantastic. Anybody who picked oh, yeah. it up was great. But every bit helps. It's part of the conversation, right, the right, overall right, right. Dial- dialogue. And if we truly want change to happen in this world, it's going to happen in one conversation, one engagement at a time, mm. one moment at that intersection between us and somebody else. So uh, you know, Good Faith Media, we're doing this at Keeping the Faith Press, you're doing right. it. And so uh, this is good stuff. You guys are producing some really great things. So, so Jonathan, blow us away. The mic is yours, my friend. <laughs> I don't know about blowing you away, but I will say this. Um, 
the the world is in desperate need of people who are willing to enter into the genuine ministry of reconciliation that God calls us to. That and and if you want to do that, I want to help you. Sai so wants to help you. I think Good Faith Media wants to help you. Like there are actually tools out there for us to reflect the shalom that God has called us to. And so if you're sitting there on the precipice of being like, well, should I do something? The answer is yes. The question is not, should you do something? The question is, what should you do? That's the question. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you're listening to this and you haven't already, a great next step is to go follow all the people in the KTF Press book, right? Like keeping the faith, like you will find somebody you can identify with and find somebody you're challenged by. It's impossible not to read something by Brandy Miller and David French and not be challenged. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, it's, it's hard, <laughs> right? And so I think, um, that's one thing. And the second thing would be um, if you want uh, uh, to, to get to know us, uh, you would, I would love to invite you to do our Emotionally Healthy Activist curriculum. You can go to EmotionallyHealthyActivist.com, go to KDFPress.com, get hooked up with our team. It'll be a good day. That's Amen. awesome. Well, Cy, Jonathan, Everest, thank you so much for joining the pod today. Uh, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to continue this conversation and keeping the faith. You guys are doing great work. Thanks. Same to you. Thank you. And to our listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in this week. And as always, uh, Autumn and I will be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to take Thanksgiving week off, and then uh, we'll return as we approach our 100th episode in December. We're really excited about our 100th episode. So stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you. So stay tuned to all that uh, will transpire around that. Until next time, keep living good faith.